0: This is what the Bible says, verse 9, Philippians 1. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, crossing the finish line. Crossing the finish line. Let me say something that uh, will probably bother you, but I think it's true. You say, I think it's true. I'm pretty sure it's true. I'm mostly sure. I mean, it's one of those things I wouldn't go to the burning stake for, but um, I'd probably run from a wild dog. You know, it's somewhere in there. The Bible is more concerned how you finish The Christian life than how you start it. See, you're you're chewing it over, aren't you? See, I'm not sure if it's true. You say, well, no, I think it's equally concerned with the start and the finish. I said, no, no, I I I think this is true. I think the Bible is more concerned with how you finish the Christian life than how you start it. And we're going to look at today some ideas here from the Scripture, some some pointed challenges from the scripture which show us what it looks like to cross the finish line and how do we get there from here and what are the things we should be concerned about as a believer if we're not as concerned about the beginning but right now we're primarily concerned about how we end crossing the finish line first thing crossing the finish line abounding in love look at the first part of verse 9 it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more there was a movie that came out years ago it's called Forrest Gump have you seen it and there's a famous line in that film when he was talking to uh, the woman he loved he had grown up with Jenny and he said this to her I'm not a smart man I thought you'd finish the line for me Todd can finish the line yeah I'm not a smart man but I know what love is I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. And here's my question, do we? Do we really know what love is? Look at what the Bible says in verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Prayer, first thing, he's praying for them that their love would abound more and more because there is no other way for their love to abound more and more than for God himself to intervene and give them the ability. For them to love, to abound in love as Christians is not something that they could gin up in the strength of their own life. It required the outward miraculous work of God to come in and show them they can love one another and it can abound. We should say it this way. We need to cross the finish line abounding in love and in order to do so we need God's help. We need God's help to abound in love, and we also need God's definition of what love is. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. You can turn to it if you want, or uh, the verses will likely be up on the screen as well. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 read like this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8, listen to God's definition of his love. God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love here is in mind. In Philippians chapter 1, he is calling us to abound in love, abound specifically in God's love, And what kind of love does God have? He only has one kind. It's love for those who don't deserve it. It's love extended to the undeserving with no expectation that they could repay that love. When he is calling us to finish the the race of this Christian life abounding in love, he's asking us to abound in God's kind of love for one another, which is to love one another in a love for people who don't deserve it, expecting nothing in return. So this is really why it's so great to be a part of a church, because you get to be a part of a group of people who don't deserve your love, and they never will. So where could I possibly go to show love to people who don't deserve it? Welcome to church. That's a part of the idea. You get together with a bunch of people who don't deserve your love so that you can spend your life extending God's kind of love to them. Now, of course, you're like me. In the back of your mind, you're hoping certainly they'd better get their act together at some point. That's not God's kind of love. God's kind of love is love for the undeserving, and then we'll leave them in God's hands, that God will do his work for them. Our job is not to figure out what they need. Our job in this particular point is to abound in God's kind of love crossing the finish line to bounding in love means first of all we have to have God's love in mind and that is love that is extended to those who don't deserve it without any expectation of return and some of us are saying well how do you do that because at a certain point I'm going to run out of gas I've only got so much resource that I can pour into people who don't deserve it so therefore you would better be have a resource to refill your tank of love so where does that come from Does it come from other people? Well, maybe. Primarily, it's coming from God. So how am I going to extend my love to people who don't deserve it? It means coming to a greater realization of how little you deserve God's love. When I recognize God's love in my life, even though I don't deserve it, it moves me to love others even though they don't deserve it. The flip side of that is true. When I tend to think that, you know... Certainly, God loved me in my sin, but thankfully, my sin wasn't that bad. I deserve most of his love. There's a bit of it, though, I don't deserve. That puts us in a really tricky position to extend love to others because the fact is we're going to expect others to receive our love the way we're receiving God's love, as deserving. As long as we think we deserve God's love to some degree, it will be hard to, uh, to love others who don't deserve it. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So first of all, we have to have God's kind of love in mind. God's kind of love is love that is extended to the undeserving without expectation. Secondly, God's love should be abounding love, abounding more and more. Let me point out the obvious. It's easier to love people we don't know very well than people we know well. So he's asking for us to do the difficulty. When I was a little kid, we went to these cool things at the expo, and they were called tractor pulls. Have you ever been? Is this old? Is this, do they still do those? Some of you, the younger, what's a tractor pull? Do you pull a tractor? No, 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 the tractor pulls the thing. So the tractor, have you, is this completely foreign to everybody? No, Howard's like, why do not we have a tractor pull right now? So what would happen is they got this big tractor, and you're just hoping one of them has got to blow up. And one always does, don't worry about it. So it pulls the track, but the, the thing it's pulling is a weight and it's on a sled. And the further it goes down the track, the weight increases because the weight travels up the sled and it makes it harder and harder to pull. That's love in the church. Because you first meet somebody, you're like, oh, they're fantastic. And then a week goes by. Oh, they're kind well, I didn't see that coming. And then a few decades go by, you're like, I hope that guy's not saved. I can't go to heaven if he's going. And that's how it gets. So the fact is, the Bible calls us to abound in love, knowing the longer we know each other, the more difficult that will be. It's an awareness that it's easier to love people we know less. This is why it's always fun to eject from church and go to a new one, because they're amazing, because you don't know them. And they don't know you. And then a couple of years go by, oh, they're terrible too. That's, this is, and I know we're laughing and it's silly, but that's literally what we do. Because people are a pain sometimes. And the Bible calls us, though, to the inverse. It says, the more we know people and, and what, how they really operate and what they're really like, then we want to abound in love for them even more. Crossing the finish line is abounding in love, even with the awareness that it is easier to love people we know less. So some of us do this. We, we say, I know that it's difficult to love people I know well, so I want to be a part of a body of believers, but I'm just going to sort of keep everybody at arm's length. Just kind of keep everything on the surface. I don't want to develop any really good friendships. Most of my friendships will not be in church. I don't want to make church complicated. Church by nature is complicated. complicated. It's a bunch of people who believe they're going to be raised from the dead someday. That's complicated. And we're abounding in love for complicated people. And when you meet complicated people that are hard to love, you should say to yourself, Lord, thank you, you've given me an opportunity to to live my life running to the finish line just the way you said it was going to be. Abounding in your kind of love for the kinds of people that are difficult to love couple of other notes on this love, abounding in God's love. This love is not merely an emotional uh, affection, although it's got that in it. It's not completely absent emotions, but primarily what we're talking about in this love is looking at others and putting a high value on others because they're created in the image of God. So this kind of love acknowledges that the people around me are extremely high in value and therefore, it results in me treating them as though they have a high value. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. We're not going to tell the whole story. We don't have time this morning, but it is when Samuel went to anoint the new king of Israel. It turned out to be David. But this is 1 Samuel 16, 7, an important understanding, not merely for the the account that is told of David's anointing, but a Reveals something of God's nature. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature. I have rejected him. That is David's older brother. The Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. The question is when it comes to crossing the finish line, abounding in love, The question is, am I willing to see others the way God sees them? Am I willing to set aside my own view of others and instead have my vision informed by the grace and mercy of Christ? Our vision directs our love. Our actions reflect what we see. If we treat somebody with condescension, if we treat somebody and casually cast them aside, it tells us, And it tells them whether or not we have affection for them. We need to see with God's eyes. God does not see as we see. We see people as important, as not important. We see people as like us or not like us. And the Bible calls us to love in a completely different kind of way. I've always said it this way. Church should be the weirdest place on planet Earth. Because it should be a place that calls people together to love one another. And the world should look at the church and go, why in the world are those people together? There is nothing that makes any sense that that group of people would get together. The Bible calls us in all of the diverse natures of our background to come together and extend love to not those that we see and admire because they're like us. But those we see with the eyes of Christ as having high value as made in the image of God. Crossing the finish line, abounding in love. It is so hard, it requires us to pray for it. And we should be praying for one another that we might abound in love more and more. Continuing on. Love gives us motivation, but the question is, what do we do? So we have the, I want to serve God in this way because I love others. The question is, how do I serve God in this way? Look at the second part of verse 9 and the first part of verse 10. With knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. I know I'm breaking this verse up into really weird sections because I, I get to. My prayers, you abound in love and love more and more with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. Crossing the finish line. First, abounding in love. Second, trained in wisdom. Crossing the finish line. Trained in wisdom. It's football team, so I'm sorry a lot of my illustrations on Sunday are going to be football illustrations. After a team loses, all the armchair quarterbacks come out. You know what an armchair quarterback or armchair coach is. It's after your team loses. Like for example, if you're the Rams. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now Seattle tried every which way to lose that game. I'm just telling you right now, they tried. And so what you do is you're sitting in your living room and you're throwing beverages against the TV and you're saying, why didn't that coach, blah, blah. And we, got, we know every reason that coach should have done all the other things, right? So we know he should have this, he should have that, he should have this. Crossing the finish line trained in wisdom is our ability to know God well enough to coach our own life. To say, I should this and I should not this. The goal here, it's in the third part we're going to look at in a second. The goal is pure and blamelessness for the day of Christ. The goal is to live abounding in love with wisdom and discernment. So on the day of Christ, the finish line, we are found pure and blameless. The question is, how in the world do we do that? And the answer to the how is wisdom and discernment. Look at Psalm 32.9, one of my favorite verses in the psalm. Psalm 32.9 tells us a lot about God and his relationship to us as his children. Be not like horses or a mule. He's being polite there. Be not like a horse or a mule. I'll let you fill in the rest. All right. With, without understanding, which must be curbed with the bit and the bridle, or it will not stay near to you. Look at what it's saying. Don't be like, like a beast of burden, which has to be dragged about and shown. Do this. Okay, now do this. Okay, now do this. And if it isn't curbed or bridled, it's gonna do anything it wants. He's calling us not to be that way. It's not on the screen, but verse eight, the verse before it says this. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He is calling us to be the kind of people that are wise and discerning that we can figure out in the ups and downs of life the course of action that we should take to finish strong for the Lord. Let me put it this way. This is not about knowing what the rules are so that you can follow them. A horse or a mule can follow a list of rules. That's the bit in the bridle. It's about discerning in life What is best in this moment? What has God called me to in this moment? If your life in Christ is simply trying to figure out how the list of rules applies to your life, then you're you're no different than a mule that's led by a bridle. What God, God calls us to is wisdom and discernment. Not to say merely what's right and wrong, but in this moment, what's the best course of action knowing I'm running for a finish line? And I want to be pure and blameless on that day. It's not about just what's right and wrong. What is best in this time? What's the best course of action for a son or daughter of the king in this moment, with this influence, with these kind of relationships? Crossing the finish line, trained in wisdom. This means we have to know what God is like. It means we have to have a a knowledge of God's nature and His person to such a degree that in, in my real life, in real time, we can say, I think I have a sense of what God would want me to do here. And we have to test drive that in real time. It means we give something a try and then we fail and we, we dust off and we stand up and we try it again. There's a word for that out in the world. It's called street wisdom. It's somebody who's lived real life and they've got the bumps and the bruises to prove it and they know the right way to make decisions the right way to think because they've been down the road before and what the Bible is calling us to do is know God by his word and know God in relationship with others to practice walking with him to fail to get up to try again to fail some more dust each other off and go for it some more and over time we learn this is how you live life with Christ in this kind of culture and this is how you live life with Christ With calloused hands of the experienced journeyman Who has walked down the road before God calls us to cross the finish line With wisdom and discernment There is no way to gain wisdom and discernment Without trying and failing Trying again and failing some more Some of us are living our Christian life And we say, here's what I got I got to put a marker in the ground I got to live perfect from here on out Not going to happen Some of the best lessons you have learned in your Christian life have come mixed with blood and tears, haven't they? So let's not dread those moments. I was watching a movie with my kids the other night, and I loved what the dad said to his little daughter. He said, go out, run around, skin your knee. That's what he's telling us. Go out, run around, skin your knee. See what it looks like to live the life of Christ that he has called you to do, to say... You know what? This is not the right thing for me. I've got to say no to it. Or, boy, this is okay. I'm going to, I need to do this. What does it mean to live the life of Christ and to fail? Some of you have done this. You say, well, I try reading the Bible and I always fail at it. Guess what? You're going to fail till the day you die. Keep failing. Keep trying. Dust yourself up. Get up again. Open the Bible and try reading it some more. Same thing with prayer. You pray, you say, well, it's boring. I keep falling asleep. Listen, some of the greatest people in the Bible have fallen asleep at a prayer meeting. Some of them with Jesus. So you've got no problems. Get up, dust yourself off, pray. Well, I keep falling asleep. Pick a different time to pray. If you you fall asleep when you pray, this is somebody who's speaking from experience here. What's the best time to pray then? When you're driving, (laughs) turn your radio off. Put your prayer cards. If you've got prayer cards, stick them on your dashboard. Policeman pulls you over. What are you doing? Sorry. Lost track of my speed. I was just praying. That's not going to get you out of the ticket, just so you know. It's, it's going to get you a bigger ticket. What, what, does it, what does it mean to serve others? well, I've tried serving and I always blow it. I always try serving and then it takes too much time and then I get stressed out or I tried, I tried serving in this area and I failed. I felt like a loser. Excellent. Do that some more. Go out and skin your knee. That's the only way to cross the finish line trained in wisdom is to carry the, the scars of a journeyman who's tried it. Another football coach said it this way. He started every football in with the same speech he would get his guys in the locker room and he'd hold up a football and you know the line what do you say gentlemen this is a football (laughs) and he'd start from there and go through the basic but here's my warning some of us as Christians have decided that's the best place to stay as a Christian I just got to know the 10 rules of things I'm not supposed to do and the 10 things I'm supposed to do and I'm done just as long as I know the rule book And somebody said at a certain point, when are we going to go and get in the game? And he said, "No, no, 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 whoa, whoa, hold on. I might get a concussion. How do you win is the question the one who wants discernment asks. If you want discernment, you're not saying, what are the rules? You're saying, how do I cross the finish line winning. What does it look like for me to run across the finish line at a full sprint, knowing Christ looks down and he's cheering as loud as possible? Now, by his grace, he's going to do that no matter what. But we want to, by wisdom, to say, what does that look like? How do I get in and stay in? Crossing the finish line, abounding in love. Crossing the finish line, trained in wisdom. So we have the want to, how do we motivate motivated to Finish line, it's love. We got the how-to, which is wisdom. And you say, well, you didn't tell me what to do. Yeah, that's the point. You got you to gotta, you gotta learn wisdom in real life. So the last thing, what is the goal? What is the goal? Look back at Philippians chapter 1. First part, second part of verse 10, end of verse 11. The goal, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Crossing the finish line. What is the goal? To have the work done. Look what it says. Partially filled with the fruit of righteousness. Is it? Did I read it right? Stay with us. Some of you are sleeping, so I had to ask a question to get you awake. Does it say partially filled with fruit of righteousness? Does it say mostly filled with the fruit of righteousness? Does it say have an apple? No, what does it say? filled. It means done, completed, finished. The goal is to cross the finish line with the work completed. In high-rise construction, where they're building these uh, tall buildings, especially when they're using uh, steel uh, girders and all this, what they'll often have when they fit the last uh, beam on the top, they will have what's called a topping out ceremony, so they'll have some kind of a, a party, and sometimes they'll put a tree up there, and it, this connects the building uh, in Scandinavia and some other place. So they'll have a topping out ceremony. Why do they have a ceremony? Because they got to the top. Now they've got to put the rest in the building, but they'll have a ceremony. say, we made it. We finished. The Christian life has a goal. It's to finish. Racers race to finish. Here's a little Captain Obvious thing. People don't race a race to just be a racer. They race a race to finish the race. You don't build a building because you just want to build forever. At a certain point, you want the building done. And the goal of crossing the finish line is to have the work completed. There is something God has called you to do between here and there. The question is, what is it? That is found through wisdom and discernment. The next question is, let's get at it. How do I finish the work that God has called me to do? So I've got three more verses to look at here Quickly to talk about crossing the finish line. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It'll be up on the screen. Some of you get excited about turning the pages in your Bible, so go for it, or flipping on your doohickey. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we got a cheering section. Who is that cheering section? Hebrews 11. All those people of faith that are recorded from the Old Testament. You say, well, who is Hebrews 11? Come out Wednesday night. We're studying. We've been studying now for four weeks. You're going to do another five weeks? There's commercial. See me. This sermon brought to you by FBC Wednesday night. We are surrounded by all those who have come before us. Abraham, Noah, Daniel, Moses, all these who have come before us. And they are watching as we're crossing the finish line, so to speak. And so he's saying, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter or finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The goal is to cross the finish line. The goal is to do so with our faith in action, with a purpose, and the purpose here in Hebrews 11 is to set aside sin. If I asked you to run a 100-yard race, I said you have two options. You can carry a refrigerator or not carry a refrigerator. Which would you choose? That's not a complicated question. It's a silly question, in fact. This is, but this is what he's calling us to do. set aside the weight, the weight of sin that we might run with endurance this race to the finish line. This is so great. He's not telling us to set aside our sin to be nicer people, to be better people, to be more righteous. Why doesn't he tell us that? Because he's already argued in Hebrews that Christ made us righteous. He's telling us to set aside our sin so it's easier to run. It just makes sense. The goal is to cross the finish line, and to do so, we set aside the sin so that we can live our life in wisdom, pursuing Christ, who has already run the race before us cross the finish line with the work completed and one of the ways we do that is set aside those things which hold us back set aside those sins which hold us back some of you are saying well what are those sins here let me give you a list Galatians 519 Galatians 519 now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies Did we miss anything? I don't know. And things like these. These things hold us back. These things, let's be honest, are more fun than running the race. These things are more appealing to our appetites than running steadfastly towards Christ. And what he's calling us to do with wisdom and discernment is say, wait a minute. These things seem fun, but they're actually holding me back from the better thing which is Christ himself. Look then what it says down in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. Draw your mind back over to Philippians 1. Maybe you've got it saved in your Bible in front of you. What does he say we're to be filled with on the way to the finish line? Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Here we go. I lost it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, such things there are no law. What he's calling us to do is run towards the finish line, setting aside the weight, which is the sin, and filling up with the fruit of righteousness, which is the character qualities of Christ himself. He's simply calling us to live our life the way Jesus lived his life. So the activity of working towards running to the finish line is over the course of our life, setting aside sin as we identify it and filling up with the fruit of the Spirit, saying yes to the Spirit of Christ and saying no to our appetites. And doing so, not to be good, we have already been made good. We're doing so because we want to run efficiently towards the finish line, cross the finish line with the work completed. Last thing, Philippians chapter two, verse verse five. Philippians chapter two, verse five. We're going to reference this passage a lot because it tends to be the focal point of the whole book of Philippians. But the manner in which we're running is the manner in which Christ walked, and this is what we see in Philippians two five to eleven. I'm just going to read verses five through eight. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, death on a cross, so the manner in which we're running is like Jesus, that is humiliated service to those who don't deserve it, how do we fill up the fruit of righteousness in our life. It's to be characterized with Jesus' qualities, set aside sin, and serve in humiliating ways those who don't deserve it. That is the way we cross the finish line abounding in love. We cross the finish line in wisdom, and we cross the finish line with the work completed. God is glorified when we finish. So let's finish Let's make sure the job is not undone. Let's make sure and remind ourselves there's no time to waste. We've got to fill up with the righteousness and we don't know how many days each of us are given and so let's run for the finish line as those who want the prize. Okay, a couple of things to end on. Some ideas just to rattle around in your head. This, abounding in love. My question is this, how do we see others? How do we assess others' value? Is it based on their employment status? Is it based on their hygiene? Is it based on their family situation? Is it based on the behavior of their children? Is it based on their race or heritage? Is it based on their knowledge of the scripture? Is it based on the car they drive? Now, I know you're all saying, no, I don't judge based on any of these things. You absolutely do. That's why I bring them up. Because, of course, we do. And what we have to recognize, these are not the things Jesus looks at. Jesus sees with different eyes. He sees value inherent in the individual, and he says, I will serve them in ways that are humiliating. And where we are abounding in love, we learn to do the same in wisdom and discernment. Okay, next thing. When it comes to living life by a set of rules, this is getting at this idea of wisdom and discernment you may disagree with this, and that's fine. You can be wrong. Um, rules are easy. Rules are neat and clean and tidy. They're safe. They're very predictable. What's great about rules is, first of all, each of us will define the rules of the Christian life in different ways, and and each of us will decide which ones really matter. Oh, yeah, I know that's against the rules, but it's not that big a deal. And each of us will define these these things in different ways, and this is not wisdom. The Christian life is not a set of rules. Are, Are they following the rules or not following the rules? Am I following the rules or just not breaking any of the really bad ones? Wisdom says what is best in running the race with Christ in this moment? What is best? What's the best thing right now in this moment to help me run with endurance this race that's long and hard with a lot of difficulty? What's the best thing? There may be plenty of things in our life that are absolutely okay that we should say no to because they're not the best things. And there may be a number of things you're saying no to and you're giving up joy that God has intended to to give you. So we should understand what God calls us to in righteousness, but understand we haven't hit a home run because we haven't done any of the seven deadly sins this week. The question for the Christian is this. I'm running for a finish line. How do I run best? Is there anything wrong with a sprinter eating seven pounds of McDonald's food before a race? No, there's nothing wrong with it. Is it best yeah, that's an easy one. That's not best. That's going to turn out badly for everybody involved. It's not best. That's what we should be looking at in our question. What is the best thing? Wisdom comes from street knowledge. It's through skin needs. It's through blisters. It's through fatigue. It's through putting the, the, the information and the truth of God's word into practice in our life and stumbling, and failing, and in the joy of it all, knowing God still receives us, but over time, developing the calluses and the strength to know what it looks like to run with patience and endurance the race that is before us. Well, let's finish with Forrest Gump again. There's another part of that movie that's really funny. Um, the narrator said this, if Forrest Gump was going somewhere, he was, he was running, have you guys not seen the film? I feel the illustration is completely... No, you don't, maybe you don't want to admit you've seen it. Are we still there? Okay. He said, Greg, I don't think what's best is you watching Forrest Gump. Okay, come on. <laughs> if he was going somewhere, he was running. He, he wasn't going anywhere walking. Everywhere he was going, he was running. And this is what the Bible calls us to as Christians. It calls us to rest, yes. It calls us to Sabbath, Yes. But it calls us to have the finish line as our goal. We're not biding time till heaven shows up. We aren't just waiting for the second coming. Listen, it's going to come. The question is when it comes, will He find us running? Or is He going to find us sitting on the porch drinking sweet tea? Saying, oh, you're here. You he say, wait, no, 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 the porch sitting is for, for, for heaven. Now the time is for running. Cross the finish line, abounding in love, trained in wisdom, with the work completed.